Do you, are you hearing a weird echo in this or does it sound okay to you? It sounds okay. Do you hear an echo? No. Okay. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Hello. I can hear you oh. now. Okay. Am I turned back up? I have no idea what's happening. Okay. Technology. All right. Here we go. <laughs> Hello, welcome back to another episode of the Content Strategy Podcast. I am your host, Christina. And today I have with me a human being that I went chasing after because I listened to her episode on uh, Larry Swanson's podcast, Content Strategy Insights. And I had so many more questions to ask her. And now I have her on my show to ask her those questions. So let me tell you about her here. Casey Garza has spent more than 10 years working on words for digital experiences. She's consulted at companies of all sizes, teamed up with a handful of agencies, and fell into the world of design as a full-time word person at InVision. Today, she leads a team of spicy content designers at Hotjar. Casey, welcome to the Content Strategy Podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. It is the best I've ever been chased, so... Thank you for coming after me. <laughs> that's good. And may you never be chased again. <laughs> yes, that's enough. <laughs> that's enough. Thank you. So Casey, thank you so much for joining us. I always start off my podcast episodes by asking my guests if they can share with us their journey through content strategy to where they are today. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. But before I do this, I have to say... That just because I have a college degree, I'd like to emphasize that I do not think anybody in this work needs a college degree. So that will be part of what I say, but I don't think it's necessary. So I did go to the University of Florida and I double majored in English and linguistics. And that was partly because I knew I was going to do something with words, but I didn't really know what it was. So I figured I could cover all of my bases if I did like the scientific aspect of language with linguistics. And then also like the liberal arts part with English. I felt I was missing a bit of the marketing potential there. So I also minored in mass communication. By the time I was kind of nearing my senior year, I had really gravitated more to the linguistics stuff and specifically forensic linguistics. But as it turns out, uh, this can be hard to stomach. So I didn't think eventually that I could have a whole career listening to crime scene audio, for example. So some of our projects were related to that. And then I was like, oh, I got to find something different. I don't know if I can do this. And I just remember telling a teacher, I'm going to do something that I don't think it exists yet, or I don't know what it's called. I can't like point to it and name it and say, that's what I'm going to do. But that's, that's what happened. So after I graduated, I did a bunch of random things like most of us do. But they all kind of had words in common. And then eventually I started freelancing. And this was just because I was always in like a small town. I could never move to New York or the Bay Area. So I started consulting and just writing anything. I would literally take any paid job. I think the first thing I did was a press release for $3. <laughs> but eventually like built off of this and kind of specialized more into like what would be a normal copywriting role. And that led me to Envision, which you mentioned. And then that I would say was like the floodgates like open, right? So I was in more of like a content specialist, like generalist role, but I did a lot with design education. So Envision had published a lot of handbooks and reports. 
and actually worked on the podcast there. So I spent all day writing about design, talking about design, interviewing design directors and VPs at these orgs and learning about org design and all of these things. And it became so normal to me that when Envision started having some opportunities to work in the product, it was like a natural move and then something that I shifted into over time. Yeah. So that that kind of just leads me back into today. So after I left Envision, I did some more consulting, really enjoyed the variety of this. And I got to try out different industries, different types of products, agencies, everything. And then I took a client called Hotjar and I just worked maybe part-time for them. And it was the beginning of their UX writing discipline. So they, they didn't have a team. They knew they needed this role and they wanted to bring me in to help. So I was just doing kind of part-time work. What I would say is just a little bit of like surface level UX writing work. And then that role became a full-time thing. And they offered it to me. I said no, because it was just one role. So I talked about this when I spoke to Larry too, that I think a lot of content people become the first or the only, and they burn out trying to prove the value and all of that. But eventually, they decided to hire more than one person. So we all kind of started together as a little team. And that's where I am today. One thing that has always blown my mind over the last lo these many episodes is hearing what a wandering journey it is for most folks to mm-hmm. land where they are. And I have to say that yours starting out with this love of words and knowing that you wanted to work with words, feeling like that was almost your calling. I haven't mm-hmm. heard that very often. A lot of times people are just like, I was a history major <laughs> or I thought I wanted to be a pharmacist. So yeah. I'm really, really fascinated by that. And I also actually wrote down forensic linguistics question mark (laughs) you answered my question listening to crime scene video or audio it's true it's real do we need a trigger warning maybe i listened one of the projects that we did was we had to listen to what unfortunately was like a murder scene but it took place in a parking garage so the task that was actually my professors what he had to do was analyze this audio to see how many gunshots there were compared to some of the sounds in the background for the car door shutting. Was it just like noises outside? Because this would go on to affect the ruling in this case. So like literally like some heavy, deep stuff. And I was just like, I don't know if I can make a career out of this. And then the fact that you have to go testify in a case that could really impact somebody's future or justice for like a victim's family, for example. So that was like a little bit too much. Um, and microcopy was a little bit more more palatable to me. I, <laughs> the distance between what you just described and microcopy is a lot. It's a um, lot. <laughs> it is. Yeah, that is intense. Thank you for sharing that with everyone. And I have to say, I am glad that you made the choices that you did because uh-huh. now here you are leading this wonderful work in content design. I want to talk to you a little bit about Hotjar as an organization. Mm-hmm. When we first spoke, I did say, if if folks want to listen to, we're going to include the link to Larry's podcast episode. Casey talks about sort of demonstrating measurement and value and impact with content design and UX writing at Hotjar. She does an outstanding job. And when we touched base, I told her that I really wanted to take things 
in a slightly different direction because I'm really interested in how content strategy and content design sort of function overall at a hot jar where it sits in the organization and where it's going. So that's the conversation that we're going to have today. So I do want to start with what is what is Hotjar? <laughs> yeah. Hotjar is a product suite for teams of all kinds and sizes to understand essentially what your users do and why. So I think most people are familiar with like an Amplitude or a Google Analytics. And this can tell you like, for example, where you have drop-offs in a certain funnel or where your conversion rate is high or low. Hotjar can give you some of this as well. But what really is like so magical about it for me is that you can see people using your product. You can get feedback directly from them. And then you can send them surveys. More recently, also interview them. So it's like this end-to-end thing where if you want to dig into a question or a problem or explore a new type of project, you can do it from end-to-end using these different ways of incorporating evidence. I can really hear that you are psyched about the product that you work on. <laughs> it's so cool, especially for content design. I mean, like previously, I think it, it's so hard to just get this information from someone else and then have to synthesize it and put it into your work as a content person. But because this, is, this product exists, number one, and it's our product, my team can go in and they can survey users, like our users. You don't even have to target them because they're right there in the product. We can see people interacting with stuff that we wrote or worked on in the session replays. So it's like this very natural, ongoing way of doing content and design work that I have been missing in my career. And I don't know, someday when I leave Hotjar, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do content work the same way without it. Well, you're using your product to learn about the work that you're doing on your product. I mean, <laughs> no, who's, who does that? Nobody gets I to do know, that. I know. A little bit of a cheat there. That's right. How many folks are at Hotjar these days? Hmm. Like the whole company? Yeah. That's a good question. I think we might be getting close to 500 now. So we'd call that a mid-sized organization? <laughs> yes. If you would like to segment enterprise, that's hey, exactly We are right. mid-market. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, have that answer ready next time. We're in mid-market. Great. So 500 people is a really interesting stage in an organization's growth because especially when we start talking about design and content as a strategic asset and how design and marketing and internal communications and external comms, how all those things are working together because we're really needing to start creating some through lines for consistency and. Mm -hmm. When we talk about user journeys, like how how is the content showing up for them and what impact is it having, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about how, where is your content design? First of all, where does it sit within Hotjar? And then how is it that you all sort of partner with other areas of the organization when it comes to content? Yeah. So we are embedded within a broader experience design team. And then we have, I think, I like how Chelsea Larson described it on one of your episodes, one of your really early episodes. She said you kind of come home to content design, but you go out to work with your product squad. So that's what we do. We have our little content team, but on a day-to-day basis, they're embedded in pillars. 
and then like squads within those. So they have like a focus area. They have, I try to keep them to a max of like three, sometimes four squads. So they have the same designers. They have the same partners in product and research all the time. And they're building those relationships. Yeah. So there's that. And then our product design reports into product. So that would be like the multi-layers there. So can you talk me through from like the top down, who oversees UX? Is there a chief design officer? Who, where does UX sit in the organization? UX reports into product. So right now, the highest level of design that we have is a design director. And then our highest product level goes to CPO. Got it. Great. So talk to me then about how you, you all are sort of like nestled in an experienced design function. Of course, when we start talking about voice and tone and terminology, customer journeys, et cetera, you all are going to start betting up against or partnering with, maybe I should say, marketing. <laughs> Talk to me <laughs> about that relationship a little bit. It's funny that you say butting up against because I this is what I've seen is that a company either has a good kind of bridge between the product writers and the brand writers, or they never talk and they kind of hate each other. And like, those are the extremes. There's no middle ground. So actually, when I came to Hotjar, it was the moment where they were going through a rebrand. So they really needed to define the voice and redo kind of all of this stuff around like voice and tone, and defining attributes and all of these things. And I intentionally sat down with, it was a, I think it was a senior copywriter. This was Andrew London. That's out. I was like, I do not want us to have this relationship. And I don't want this to be like the legacy of like our disciplines at Hotchar. So let's start together now and just establish like not only a working partnership, but like a friendship of like, we are these two nerdy, like work people who understand this stuff. And we can go so much farther together than if we were trying to do it apart and then come together in like a collision to make sure that we're adhering to each other's guidelines. So I would say this mostly still in place today on a regular basis. I would say terminology is a big one where, especially now that the content design team has grown, there are four people on my team. We're adding things, changing things, researching things all of the time. It's hard to document them, number one. But number two, like the, the marketing team is doing the same. So it's very hard to keep these things in line. But what we've done is try to build in some process around the most important thing. So for example, naming. Uh, last year, Hotjar acquired a company called Ping Pong. And we needed to rename this because we couldn't have heat maps recordings in Ping Pong. So this tool was meant to be for user interviews and, and stuff like this. And we needed to name it something. And so this was a really good point to come in and say like, okay, whenever we need to name something, it needs to be a content designer ideally a product marketing manager and then brand and the product manager of eventually what this product should be. Like these other people should be informed or contribute to the pre-work or have some kind of stakes in this. So it's not just one person going off, picking out a good name and like bestowing the organization with it. And so I think just this, building it into a process and just making it known that we need to do things together if we're going to do them right. So that's outstanding because that is a value prop almost that you brought in from the ground up, right? To to form that relationship with the brand team so early on. And it sounds like that has really paid off for you. 
let me ask, when it comes around to a thing like naming, where there need to be multiple functions within an organization kind of weighing in, Mm -hmm. who decides who decides? (laughs) I would like it to be that we arrive to the decision together. And maybe that's like a cheater answer because there's always going to be like one or two names and maybe like the users decide. So for our naming process, that's exactly what it is. It's like there's a point where we do get to a short list based on like the pre-work and alignment with this other criteria that we have and then our voice and tone, of course. But we want to be testing the names too. We want to make sure that people understand them and can recall them. So it's never just us internally like choosing something that we would have like our users represented in this decision. So is it, can I say like our users decide, like, should it be that? But we've put guardrails up so that they can't choose like the wrong thing. (laughs) That's basically like being a parent of a toddler, right? I'm going to give you (laughs) these choices. Also, you're going to choose this one. Yeah, exactly. I curate, like I choose the outfits of the day, but then say, do you want to wear this or this? right? One of those choices is not the Halloween costume, right? It's like clothes. So that's exactly it. And now I just compared Hotjar users to toddlers. That was not my intent. (laughs) Let me roll that back. Okay. (laughs) I'm just kidding. So here's a question that I have. First of all, that's outstanding. And to have that kind of I guess, trust and collaborative spirit and understanding that everybody is on the same team, even though technically you're on different teams. I mean, that is great. And I think I will say that that dynamic is a thing that I often find comes down from leadership and a Mm -hmm. willingness between leadership to really talk to each other and work together. So that's great. And I hope that perseveres over time. Let me ask this. When we think about a customer journey, With marketing, for example, usually what happens is they start at like the awareness level through to conversion or Mm -hmm. the sale. And then after that, marketing's purview just sort of like drops off, right? It's Mm -hmm. like they they kick the user over to product and design and experience and, and they just like lose sight. Unless it's annual recurring revenue in which I know they're responsible for a different thing. But let's just stay with this one initially. Does Hotjar have sort of at the enterprise level customer journeys that everyone is is adhering to? Do you have different ones that exist within different parts of the organization? How do you all treat those? I think they're evolving over time. And I, I also think that they should. Because if you just imagine like all the changes in the world in like the past few years, <laughs> like those things affect like basic economics and like are people cutting out their software, even if they were previously like a perfect user and like a perfect market fit. I think a cool thing about Hotjar is that we can build and tweak our customer journeys with like our own tool. So I think a lot of places do these like theoretically, like it's easy to draw a circle on the piece of paper and say like, this is acquisition and this leads to this and this leads to this. But is that like your perfect like funnel and like journey or is that what people actually do. So I think it's this is kind of where like the session replay tool will come in. It's like you can actually see that it's not quite that linear. And I think this is like helpful for us to consider too. It's like someone may sign up and have never seen the pricing page and then they need to go back and look at the pricing page even though they've already created an account. 
and now they're on the wrong plan. So it's just this back and forthness and all these variables. But so for Hotjar in general, when we're looking at like our users and our kind of perfect fit, it is something that our research team, thankfully, is always doing like very strategic research, looking at value drivers, doing different evaluations, and then building off of even our own experiments to see like, is this correct? Are we headed in the right direction? So let's talk about your research team for just a second, because a thing that I see repeatedly is that organizations, but first of all, let me just say, again, we're, this is a little bit of a unique conversation in that you work for an organization that has designed a a research tool, right? Like Mm -hmm. that is essentially, and so research as a function and as a value within the organization is going to sit very, very high in the ranks. Yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit how when research does their work, how are they communicating that across the organization so that everybody is making decisions sort of out of the same playbook? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should have brought Paula with me. Paula Herrera leads research at Hotjar and she's fantastic and very thoughtful. And this is a big consideration because a lot of places don't have democratized research. They'll put embed a researcher, for example, in a squad. And then this person just kind of does the tactical everyday stuff. Whereas Hotjar, like between design and even our product teams with the access that we have to Hotjar and other kind of tactical research methods, like we can mostly cover this ourselves. And then this frees up the research team to do really strategic things like you're saying. So they also report into experience design like content. But I would say they they're like ahead of the planning cycle. So they're constantly like looking at what do we need to discover? What kind of research do we need to do that's going to guide everybody's road mapping essentially and decision-making? So in terms of disseminating this information, I think it's something that they're... Hotjar is fully remote. So this is like another challenge. It's like they can't just stand up and like make a presentation. So it's this constant like... It is a content strategy actually is like maybe Slack gets like just the insights or just a few kind of like one-liners to lead people into what we use as like confluence where the full research report maybe lives. But then that full research report might be summarized in another document in confluence just to have like highlights, for example, because Paula and her team really want to track how these insights are being actioned so that she can report later at the end of the quarter, the end of the year, the percentage of the insights that are getting used so that we're really making sure that the things Hotjar does is like grounded in research or a combination of different methods. So I would say it depends on what it is, but there is this kind of even like communication strategy for the research, depending on like the type of study and how many departments it's going to affect and all that stuff. I think that that's such a thoughtful way to talk about it as communication strategy for internal insights and research, because Mm -hmm. that is often such a challenge where you'll have within an organization, and sometimes it's a very large organization with a very small research team, but they're doing outstanding work, but they don't really have a good effective way to get that work out into the wild and help people make actionable decisions Mm -hmm. fueled by that information. So it's sort of, it's interesting and good to hear that that is, I don't know, good to hear, but it is, it is 
a relief or validating to hear, I guess, <laughs> that that even a research tool organization can struggle with getting that out. Yeah. I also love, you called it democratized research. And I really, really love that idea and that concept, because if that's what an organization is striving for, then yeah, they are going to treat that like a strategic initiative that is constantly unfolding over time. So mm-hmm. I think that that is great. Yeah, if I feel um, like it, it's around like understanding what your users do and why they do it and like that they're not long recruitment process and like screens or worlds away, right? That we can reach them so easily. Like why would we not capitalize on this? And so I think it's just become such a normal thing at Hotjar to use our own product to kind of get this continuous like feedback loop. And then, yeah, it just breathes up space for this really strategic stuff the research team is doing. And I also feel like this is like a given. It's like tends to become the go-to growth plan for content designers on my team. It's like, what can I do to be more strategic? Like how can I influence and not just get writing requests? And so far, almost every single time I've been like, well, you have to follow your researcher, do whatever they're doing because that work ends up informing what everyone else does. I think that's my, that, uh, that's also the the advice that I give content designers who write to me on LinkedIn. It's like, what can I do? Like, how can I be more strategic? And it's this incorporating evidence and perspectives into your work, no matter what kind of content you work on, and then staying close to the researchers. You know, what's interesting is that a little bit swerves into the conversation around being able to demonstrate value or mm-hmm. prove value to grow whether it's headcount or visibility or responsibility or collaboration opportunities within an organization. Something that I've really watched over the last several months is content designers and content strategists beginning to untangle the difference between proving their value within an organization as a business partner mm-hmm. and as a human being. You have spent so much time thinking about demonstrating measurable value for content design. Do you have any thoughts around kind of the tension between those two ideas and how we've seen that unfold within the content community? Do I? Yeah. I actually, I think Andy Williams should get props for this because back when we still had Twitter and we could have nice things, she wrote something like, why are we still asking about the value of content design instead of asking why we have leaders in place who don't understand the value of content design? And this was, you know, at least a year ago. And like, for me, this was like a moment where I was just like, yeah, I'm done. Like, I'm not doing that anymore. And so I think it always comes back to this. It's like, what is this ask coming from? Does someone need this because they don't know what you're doing and they need to justify your existence in the organization? If so, pass, right? Or is someone like championing your discipline and they want to help you show off and they want to do kind of like a roadshow or something like this? Or does an individual content designer need it to advocate for their promotion? I think those would be two different scenarios. I think like you've said, it's gotten more common for people to be like digging for this. But what I have seen is that it's getting easier and more common to find the one-off examples. So like you changed a button and you made a ton of money or you added uh, like a confirmation modal and you saved something terrible from happening. 
these things are getting easier to find because it's what we do every day. But I think what is still harder to pinpoint is like, how is your discipline performing overall? Like what is like a health metric for your team? These are the kind of like operating metrics that I would love to see be more talked about now instead of this individual, like you invested 20 minutes here and you made $2 million and now your salary is justified. You may continue working here for six months. I could not agree more. I think that I love what you said about... No, I think you said the health of the discipline as a whole. And I think that you went on to kind of talk about your team specifically within an organization. But I think about this a lot within the content design discipline. And I'm going to go off on a tangent just for just a minute because I... Please go. Yeah. (laughs) But I... so. A long time ago, when I first started talking about content strategy and finding other content strategists, we were, you and I were talking about this before we hit record. It was really around websites, right? Like that was more of our focus. And I think that a lot of folks who are listening to the podcast, that's also sort of where they, they are, that they're working, whether now or that they've come up around. And this idea of advocacy for the practice itself, for the discipline at large, it was just baked into the work, right? Because mm-hmm. words are a thing that anyone can do. Let's be real. And that advocating for the complexity of the work, the power of it, the necessity of it beyond, you know, just the writing and the filling in the lorem ipsum on the wireframes. That was a whole thing that had to come up with website content strategy. Yeah. It remains a struggle. It is always going to be a struggle because everybody can do the writing. Like everybody can write. And Mm -hmm. so I think that looking at it as not just a how can I change this within my organization, but also how can I contribute to the evolution of the field and the discipline as a whole? Because that is going to continue to raise the profile of the activities and of the contributions within the organization, because you have a thing to point to, to say, look, this is valid. This is real. This is not just me angling for more money with Mm -hmm. a different title. Right. Yeah. I've seen this conversation like on LinkedIn, like, I feel like there's this divide now of people who are like, this is an emotional discipline. It's like equal to a liberal art. Like this is art. Like we don't even need to be doing research. Like we just need to be like making the best thing. And then people on like the the complete opposite end or like you need to be a product manager if you're ever going to do anything good and useful. And I think it's somewhere in the middle. And I also think that you could swing back and forth between the two. This is how I see Hotjar. I hired last year and I didn't ask any questions about writing. And I think that's because I wanted someone who could think. I want people to be curious and to like dig into a problem and to consider the words and the language and how that might be affecting the solution or holding it back. And I didn't just want like a really good copywriter because this just turns into this nice like magic dusted layer on top of a product that might still have a bunch of problems. So right now where our team is at and the size of our company and the fact that like it's a new discipline, we need content designers. We need people who might not even have a writing background to come in and care about the language and the sentiment and look at it through a global lens. Two of the people on my team do not speak English as a first language and they've made us better because they make they challenge what I would say is like a very common phrase. 
And so it's just looking at the meaning of your product in a different way. I think there might be a time in Hunter's future where, you know, we get this really solid and this is like staffed really well across like all the product teams. And then we need to kind of go back and strengthen like the actual writing and say like, now we've got like such a good foundation here. Let's go back and really look at voice. Let's really look at how to bring like a stronger, whatever, delight (laughs) into the product at this surface level because we've disentangled all of the problems that, you know, exist in the code base or the functionality is wrong and we've helped figure it out. So right now, I feel like our little pendulum, if you will, is like more in the side of like meaning and designing like the underlying solutions rather than this like writing player. Yeah, it is. It does no matter where you are working with content, whether it is on a website, whether it is across several websites, throughout uh, different marketing initiatives, across product, across email campaigns that feed into, you know, product. I think that the problem solving piece of it, which demands curiosity beyond the words, that is what is foundational to anyone who's going to succeed in this Mm -hmm. field. Not only that, but I think it's foundational to be able to sort of like represent the work within an organization in a way that people are going to take it seriously. It's that so even less about like, oh, you have to prove your value. You have to prove your worth. It's like, how are you going to help solve problems beyond just design needs to get their act together so that I can better do my job? Like that's not, that's not solving problems. And I saw this in marketing as well. Like I'm thinking of a time that I was working on, I think it was a documentary for Envision and the, the writing manager that I had at the time you know, I did it and I like to think the writing was okay. (laughs) But I remember her feedback was like, don't just fill this template in, like challenge it. Do you need this headline? Like, should there be like a sub description here that unfurls when we share this across like channels? Like always take apart like your assignment and make sure that you're putting the right information in it instead of just like filling in the boxes to get them done even if the writing is good, like maybe you don't need the writing there. So I, I agree. Like I think it's across channels and mediums and, and all of those things. Let's swing back around to process for just a minute. Then we kind of took a detour down. What is the future <laughs> of the discipline yeah. of content strategy and all of its various fields of practice within? <laughs> so let's say that we are entangling a problem and we are looking at how the language is going to show up in various channels and platforms, et cetera. And we identify an area of friction that belongs, that we've got to get on the same page with, or there's a problem that needs to be solved in a different part of the organization. So let's take, let's take Techcom. Techcom, who every time I mention them, I always have to say the unsung heroes of content strategy, because they really are. (laughs) So how, how would you approach, because that I think is a huge piece of content strategy across mm-hmm. an organization is in the topic of ownership and territorialism. I mean, let's uh, call it what it is. Yeah. How would you approach working with or reaching out to a writer or content strategist within another part of the organization to say, hey, I'm bumping up against this or I spotted this issue and I'd mm-hmm. like to collaborate with you to see if we can solve it in a way that is going to remove that friction from our shared customer journey. 
Yeah, I think this kind of goes back to what I was saying with my like earlier uh, story about Andrew. Because we had established this relationship from the beginning, it was not somebody's like door I needed to go knock on when something was wrong. And so I think like the basis of all good content work is relationships. And like even the way to get things done, like influence, like it all comes down to like who you work with and like who you've built trust with and who kind of get a regular drumbeat of your conversation and like your thoughts on a regular basis. Because then when you come to this person and you're like, Oh, I found this thing and I think we can do it together. And it's going to relate to your product area or your area of the business and mine. Like, let's do it together. That is so much more convincing to say like, here's this thing, let's do it together versus like, here's something you messed up or here's something that's wrong. And now I have to come clean up your mess. We have to fix it. And so I think leaning on relationships in this moment or in these in these types of challenges will be so much more productive than any kind of like process you could outline. And I know I already said like, we needed a process. <laughs> but I think that process works because of the people that we defined as being necessary to consult or work with along the way. We did have this at Hotjar where I noticed we were using the words like products and tools and feature kind of interchangeably. And it was getting to a point where it was like bumping into what shows up in the interface, but also kind of confusing what we talked about earlier is like the customer journey and like, who is this product for? And like, even the pricing and packaging, are we selling tools? Are we selling like bundles of features? Like what is all of this stuff? And so I think this is where maybe like artifacts can help. In those situations, I think Content maps are really useful and then content models to show people the relationship. Even if you take the names out of our products and just show like this is product A, product B, product C, and it contains these features or these tools and they go on these plans or you know whatever the different combinations are, this can help bring understanding to this conversation so that no matter who looks at it, whether it's an engineer is like, oh crap, like the code base is like not going to translate to this or like we have to do some kind of like re-architecture so that we can make this work or somebody in product marketing who's like oh this is not how we're tailoring our comm strategy no matter who looks at this thing or gets brought into this conversation they have an understanding of the relationships between these pieces and then potentially also the disciplines that need these individual pieces and then from there we can work together to clean up well What's the word that we're going to use for this thing? Isn't it incredible that you just described all of those relationships, all of those layers, all of the potential artifacts and processes, and it all comes down to what is the word? What is the word that we're going to use to describe (laughs) this thing? It's incredible. And I, I feel like if we could give partners throughout an organization purview to that process and that degree of complexity, and the quality of the output then after all of this collaboration and conversation and seeing these relationships at work, that degree of sort of education and raising awareness, I just feel like could go a long way. Yeah, I think, and that's why you talk about at the moment, like worst like team lead ever, right? To stand here and say like, I don't actually care about the writing. I do, of course, like I could care about the writing, but right now I'm really focused on the meaning. And this is where it's like, almost like could be any discipline, whether it's like marketing, it could be any, any like of these specialties. We have to be on the same page about the meaning and the message. 
And then everything from there, we can ladder it all up, like all of our style guides, everything. But if we have a different understanding of what the meaning of something is, it doesn't matter how good anything else is. It doesn't matter if we've got a perfect strategy for measuring the impact in the ROI of content design or marketing assets or whatever it is. If it all ladders up to something that is like fundamentally different and not serving like a business need or a customer need. Let me tell you what I especially love about this is that I have talked about meaningful impact and meaningful decisions and I can't get anybody else to pick up this word. Casey, <laughs> you have picked up this picked word. It up. I'll hold so it now for you. you have to say it over and over and then I can say, see, Casey says it. It's a thing. Everybody. Fall fall in. Get on the it bus. Is. Yeah, I just think about I just think that the the word itself, you know, it sort of dovetails with with the word purpose or purposeful because it is like why does this exist in the first place? What does this need to do? Who is it serving? What does it need to accomplish? I just feel like that is a thing that we as content professionals do need to be sort of steering and mm-hmm. pushing and shaping that conversation yeah. within and our organizations. Is, exactly. Like that is the unique thing that we, I think, bring as specialists where other people assume like that gets figured out or it just comes together or maybe they just don't even know to look for it. It's not to like throw anyone under the bus and say like, oh, you don't do this. But I do think that this is like the original thing that like a content person can bring to any kind of like strategy. And it is just like, babysitting the meeting we'll go back to like toddlers it's like if you kind of help this shape this and make sure that it stays true to who it is as it grows up then no matter the output on the other end whether this is like a social media post or text in the interface ideally it would be like around the same kind of story or have the same message or at least be true to like the function underneath it which for me would be probably how the product is used but in like another team's context might be like the, I don't know, maybe like the customer persona or like the message that the marketing team is trying to push. Casey, I think that this is a great place for us to pause our conversation. And I say pause because it needs to keep going. It can keep going between us. Listeners, I would love to have you take this conversation and carry it forward on your own, within your organizations, on social media. It just... This idea that content professionals have to be carrying and helping to shape meaning within our words and our messaging is just so powerful. So take that, bring your curiosity to the table, follow Casey's lead, and let us go forth and make a difference. Casey, thank you so much for your time and for joining me here today. I really, really appreciate your perspective and your expertise. And I look forward to learning more from you in the months to come. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Content Strategy Podcast. Our podcast is brought to you by Brain Traffic, a content strategy services and events company. It's produced by Robert Mills with editing from Bear Value. Our transcripts are from Rev.com. You can find all kinds of episodes at contentstrategy.com. And you can learn more about brain traffic at braintraffic.com. See you soon.